0: Well, as you know, we're in an in a 11-month series on the life and teachings of Jesus, and I'm really glad this morning that we're still in this series because we're going to look at um, an interaction that Jesus had with a woman um, who uh, was deeply caught in sin, and yet Jesus showed her tremendous grace and mercy. And this morning, uh, in light of the events that, that started uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia last weekend, and then all of the other incidents that continue to flood the airwaves and and our social media outlets, I just thought it would be timely to take a significant um, look at this interaction that Jesus had with this woman, a woman who lived in the area, the region of Israel called Samaria. It was a moment where Jesus decided to teach his followers how to handle some of the the, uh, toughest social topics of the day. I struggled with that in the first service too, all right? First day with this new tongue, I'm just trying it out. So, But what's interesting is the Bible doesn't give us uh, this woman's name. We don't know a whole lot about her, but, but we know her as the woman at the well or the Sumerian woman, the Samaritan woman. And in John chapter 4, Jesus's uh, ministry on earth is, is fairly new. People are getting to know him. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, are, are, are getting a bit uptight. There's a growing concern about Jesus' gr- popularity. And so before things get too uh, intense for Jesus, he and his followers, his new disciples, they head north out of Jerusalem into the region of Galilee. They are, they're actually heading towards home, the region where they are from in Israel. However, instead of taking the road that, that most of the Jewish people would take to get to Galilee, which was act to go around Samaria, Jesus decides to travel right through Samaria matter of fact, John chapter four verse four tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria, all right He could have gone the other way, but it makes a point to say to us he had to go there. Why would he do that? Well, Jesus had someone to meet. There was someone who who was going to give us a beautiful picture of how our Savior chooses to interact with people of a different race other than the Jews, a, a different religion other than Jewish, and a gender that that oftentimes is treated with a second-class status, a a woman. And this was not just any woman. This was a woman who had a terrible reputation in town. She was the town bad girl. Let's check this out. Verse 5, it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's noontime. This is not the best time to fetch water. The sun is probably at its hottest point. Um, women would typically come early in the morning and bring their buckets, and they would get their water for their families at, the early point, at an early point in the day. However, this was not your typical Samarian woman. Verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to, to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. With this simple interaction, Jesus is about to confront three um, hot topic social issues of the day. He's about to set an example for how we're to handle each one of these same issues that that we deal with today. They're hot topic issues in, in our own culture today. And the first one is the issue of race. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, What you need to understand is that the Samaritans were a mixed race of people. They were part Jew and part Gentile. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans because they they were different than them. They were not seen as true Jewish people because of their ethnicity. Matter of fact, the Jews classified them as spiritually unclean. And that was a big deal back at this time because the Samaritans would have not been welcomed into the places where the Jewish people worshipped. But it went farther than that. The, the Jewish people were not even allowed to associate with a Samaritan. A Jewish person would never ask for a drink out of a Samaritan well. A Jewish person would never drink from a cup owned by a Samaritan. When Jewish people wanted to call you an insulting name, they would call you a Samaritan. Some of the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, of the, Pharis- the Pharisees, actually prayed that the Samaritans would not be included in heaven. So the Jewish people looked down upon them and treated them, these Gentiles, especially this, these Samaritans, as an inferior race of people. The second hot topic issue that we see Jesus dealing with this in, the, in this interaction is the issue of gender. This conversation that Jesus was having went, went, went against all kinds of, of, of social etiquettes uh, of the times. Jesus was talking in public with a woman, with a woman. Men didn't, did not speak in public with a, women, uh, with a woman unless their father or, or husband were standing there. Jesus was also, as you know, he was considered a rabbi. He was a teacher. So this made it even more complicated. And as we're about to find out, this woman was living in sin. Nobody in town would have been speaking to this woman, even other women. To the religious leaders of this day, this woman represent, represented everything wrong with society. This woman actually acknowledges herself as she's talking with Jesus that Jesus shouldn't be speaking to her. But Jesus speaks to her anyways. Why is that? Well, because Jesus wanted to offer this woman the only thing that could truly change her life, which was salvation. And Jesus was making a point that salvation was for all people. It wasn't restricted by race or gender or by religion. Verse 10, he said, Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or ever have to come here to draw water from this well again. Now you need to understand Jesus is not offering this woman physical water. He's offering her living water. He's actually offering her, offering her eternal life and it's and it's not only eternal life but he's actually identifying himself to her as the messiah but she doesn't understand it quite possibly because she is so deep in her sin she cannot see Jesus for who he is and so Jesus decides to get personal with her he tells her he says i want you to go get your husband and, and bring him back to me and she says i don't have a husband And Jesus says, you're you're right, you've actually had five husbands and you're not married to the man that you're currently living with. Now, can you imagine for a moment how this woman must have felt? I mean, this man that she's never met before has just called her out. He's just identified her, 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 her background, her past, her present. And she immediately changes the topic, and she tries to lure Jesus into a popular debate about worship. She wants to move the conversation now away from her sin and her present situation. And Jesus uses the opportunity to confront another hot hot topic issue, which is religion. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now again, this woman tries to engage Jesus in a, in a debate about religion. And Jesus kindly engages her. And the woman finally says to, to, to Jesus, and the woman said to him in verse 26, he says, now, I, or 25, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In other words, there is a coming day when the Messiah will come and he'll sort out all of our religious differences, There's a day when we are all in heaven with Jesus and all of the religious arguments are going to be settled once and for all. We're we're going to know who was right about the issue of Calvinism and free will, um, about speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues. We just baptized a few moments ago. We're going to know, was it sprinkling or dunking? I mean, what's the deal here? What about communion? Grape juice or wine? How about our worship service? Snakes or no snakes? It's all going to be clear to us. Now, don't miss Jesus' response to this woman. He says, I am the Messiah. I'm the Christ that you're speaking of. And here's Jesus who was completely God and yet completely human, a Jewish male talking to a woman of another race, of another religion. Now, don't miss this. Jesus, Jewish males considered themselves elite. They were supreme in social terms. They were the right race, the right gender, and the right religion. And yet... How did Jesus deal with this woman? He dealt with her with kindness. Jesus didn't avoid her. He actually traveled out of the way to get to her. He he wasn't cold to her. He didn't talk down to her. He wasn't afraid of her. He wasn't condescending to her. He wasn't yelling at her. He was compassionate. And yet he didn't pull any punches about the sin in her life. And yet he was kind. And we don't know anything about this woman's background. We don't know about her parents the relationship she may have had with her father. We don't, we don't know about um, the men that she's been with, outside that she's been with, with now six, but we probably can guess that she probably never had met a man who actually cared about her as a person, who treated her with dignity and respect, who was interested in her enough to go out of her way, out of their way just to get to know her. But it was that kindness that led this woman to repentance and actually opened the door for her to receive salvation. He also dealt with her with grace, This is a woman who was treated with extreme disdain from the other people in town, especially the women. To the Jews, she was the wrong race, the wrong gender, and the wrong religion. To the Samaritans, she was everything that was wrong with society. But to Jesus, she was worth going the extra mile for He loved her because she was made in God's image. She was worth dying for. He offered her forgiveness. He offered her a chance to start again. He offered her what no one in this room deserves this morning, including this pastor. He offered a grace. And you need to know this was not just some random meeting. This was was a divine appointment. And, And you need to know that nothing, not race, not gender, not religion, not any sin could stand in the way of God's grace. Not back then and not now. So what do we learn? What, I mean, what can we learn with, from Jesus' interaction with, with the Samaritan woman? First thing is this. Any time that we elevate ourselves as superior above another person or a group of people, it is sin. I want to say this just as, pl- just as clear as I can possibly say it. Racism is sin. Prejudice is sin. Bigotry is sin. Hatred for another group of people because of race or religion is a Sin. And with this one encounter with this woman, Jesus laid the groundwork for how to follow him when it comes to dealing with people that are different than us. People who come from a different race or a different gender or even a, a different religion. He lays the groundwork for kindness and grace. And if we're truly going to identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, if we're truly going to embrace the way of Jesus, there cannot be a hint of prejudice or racism in our lives. There's no room for any form of elitism. Listen, the only one who gets to claim any type of supremacy over anyone is Jesus himself. We're in a day when we're we're just constantly being forced to view images or hear stories that, that challenge our hearts to constantly deal with how we genuinely feel about these hot topic issues. You know, how do, how do, you, know, how do you know if even a hint of racism is present in, your, present in your heart? Well, the next time that a racial issue blows up in this country, you need to ask yourself the question, where's my heart going? Where, where, what, what kind of feelings are welling up inside of me? What, what thoughts go through my mind? And that's a tough one. It's a tough one. The next time there's a terrorist attack, do you you find yourself filled with righteous anger for for the terrorist or or do you have a hatred inside of your heart for an entire group of people, an entire group of people of another religion? See, there's a lot of anger in this country right now. You don't have to look hard to find it. But there's a big difference. We need to understand this between anger that's fueled from hatred and righteous anger. I'm a white male. I live in a a predominantly white community. I pastor a predominantly white church. In, In this country for centuries, being a white male makes me a person of privilege. But what trumps everything I just said to you is that I am a follower of Jesus and that means that I am following his teaching, I am following his example. What, regardless of what culture says, regardless of what political, any political party that we may follow says, I am a follower of Jesus and I am, I am commanded to follow his teaching and his example. And, and I want to emulate how he treated other people. Philippians 2 says that when, when Jesus came to earth, he actually made himself nothing and he took on the form of a servant. He went out of his way to love those people of, of that, that people of privilege looked down upon. He spoke up, and he defended them. So when I see a group of white supremacists hurling racial insults towards blacks or Hispanics or Jews, that should anger me. That should anger you, because it goes against the ways of Jesus. That should cause me, that should cause me to speak out in whatever platform God's given me, in righteous anger, because the Bible calls it what it is—it's sin. Listen, the Bible commands us to love our neighbor. If, 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 if I, I've lived in this part of Metro Atlanta now for 20 years, and I want you to know, my neighborhood, your neighborhood, my neighborhood's changing. The neighborhood around this church is changing. My neighborhood looked very different than what it did 20 years ago. And since I live in Northwest Atlanta, you know what? Jesus is constantly calling me to love my neighbor. That includes my African American neighbors. That includes my Hispanic neighbors. Last week I was last weekend I was um, in Detroit doing a wedding. This place I, I grew up, I was born in Detroit, lived there till I was about fifteen years old. But if I still lo- lived there, Jesus would not only be calling me to love my African American neighbors, but He would be challenging me to love my Muslim neighbors as well. Jesus would be calling me to love them as much as I love myself. Listen, if I, lived in, if I moved to San Francisco, Jesus would be calling me to not only love my African-American neighbors, my Hispanic neighbors, my Muslim neighbors, but also my Asian neighbors and my homosexual neighbors that, that might just live next door to me. Jesus would be calling me to love them. Listen, if we're going to love our neighbor, then we're going to have to get over the fears that we may have about some of our neighbors. We're going to have to get over some of the prejudices that we may have about our neighbors. You say, how do I do that? especially in a, in a culture that is so divided right now. What if, you just, what if you just invited a family from a different race over to your house and had dinner with them? What, what if you had a conversation with them about race and religion and really, truly got to know them? About 10 years ago, uh, as we have been planting churches now for about 19 years, I had a couple African-American young men who came through our church planting school and and since that time, as I've gotten to know them and their families, their wives, their kids, they, they not only started calling me pastor, but they, they look at me as a father to them. If I'm going to love my kids well, those that call me father, I need, to, I need to know these men. I need to know what they go through. I need to know what it's like to walk in their shoes. This past summer, I, I decided that I was going to be the, the, the team chaplain, the team pastor for the East Paulding High School football team. I was standing with the coaches looking at the football team. And I'm looking at them, going, "This is a very diverse group of young men. About forty percent of them are minorities." When I walk through that door over there, they call me Pastor Brian, Pastor Bloy. If those kids, those students, those young men, are going to call me Pastor, I want to pastor them well. I want to shepherd them. I want to love them. I want to serve them. What does that mean? I got to get to know them. I've got to know what it's like to walk in their shoes. What is it like to be a a young minority, African-American, Hispanic, young man in this community? How can I serve them? How can I love them like Christ wants me to love them if I don't know what it's like to be them, to understand them the best that I can? What if you actually sat down with a Muslim person and engaged them in conversation and asked them, what is it like to be a Muslim in this country right now? Will we ever truly be able to reach the gay community without first showing them kindness and love? We won't. We have to. If we're going to love our neighbor, we have to change the way we think about the neighborhood. We have, to think, we have to change the way that we all think about the neighbor, our neighbors. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that every person that exists was created in the image of God. That means that every human life is of infinite equal value in God's eyes. The Apostle Paul in Acts seventeen twenty six he says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. That means that we're all created equal. It means that there's only one race when it comes down to it, the human race, and we're all descendants of Adam. Adam that means that we have the same parents and we all have the same red blood running through our veins. But it also means that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory and, and God's free gift of eternal life. It's offered to anyone, whether they're white, black, brown, Asian, Indian, Muslim, Jew. Whoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior will be saved. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, what race you are. You see, the gospel is the only thing that brings all people into the same family. You hear that? The Bible tells us that, that, that we're going to spend eternity in heaven worshiping with people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. Listen, I don't want to wait until I get to heaven to experience that. I want to experience it here on this earth. I want to experience it on Sunday morning here at Westridge Church. I don't want to just experience in the football stands when we're all pulling for our favorite high school football team and none of us care about what color we are. I want to experience it on the most segregated time in America, Sunday morning. And I want Westridge Church to lead the way. I read this quote from from Nelson Mandela the other day. It's powerful. He said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. I want to say this in love to you. If you're a parent or if you're a grandparent in this room, I want to challenge you to change the rhetoric in your homes, even the subtle rhetoric. Nelson Mandela is right. We don't come into this world hating other people because of their skin color, their background, or their religion. Somewhere along the lines, it's either taught or caught. As we're discussing current events in our homes, if the conversation in the living room or around the kitchen table all of a sudden just begins to take on a racist nature, then we're leading our children into sin. We're teaching them that they are superior than another race or a group of people. We're teaching them to have disdain and hatred in their heart for, for the people that God made in his own image, the people that Jesus died for. And I want to tell you how strongly God feels about that. In Luke 17, Jesus is with his disciples and he puts himself in the midst of a group of children. Pulls one of them towards him. And he gives us a strong warning about leading people into sin, especially children. He says it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. And so here's the thing. If we're going to truly change our community and our country, then we have to call racism and bigotry out for what it truly is. It's sin. It's sin. We learn from Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman that no one group of people is more more superior than another. The next thing that we learn is that the only thing that can tear down the walls that separate us and bring healing, race, gender, religion, is the gospel. When you turn on CNN, when you turn on Fox News, when you turn on MSNBC or you, or you go to Twitter or even Facebook, what, what do you see? You just see, you see racial walls being put up. You see gender walls being put up. You see religious walls being put up. We see, we see the lostness of our world right in front of us on those TV screens. We see the depravity of man just rolling through our social media feeds. And it's so easy, isn't it? to get caught up in all the, the furor. It's co- so easy to get sucked up into it. It's so easy to let our flesh get stirred up. So easy to, to lose sight of why we're here. It's easy to, to get sucked into the conversations about temporal things, isn't it? About things that when it comes to eternity really don't matter. When the way of Jesus is to keep our eyes on eternal things. Listen, it's, it's dark out there. It's dark out there. But Jesus has pointed the way for us. He's actually shown a light into the future. In humility, Jesus laid down his life on a cross so that a way could be made for for man to come out of this sinful depravity and this state of spiritual death so that we could reach God, so that things could be made right between us and God once and for all. And the cross not only made a way for things to be made right between God and man, but you need to know that the cross also made a way for things to be made right between Jew and Gentile, black and white, man and woman, male and female. This is how the apostle Paul described it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He said, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Listen. The gospel not only has the power to expose the sin of uh, racism and prejudice, but it has the power to shatter the walls of hostility that separate us. Jesus broke down those walls. Satan desperately wants to build them back up, and we need to be wise enough to see when that's happening. We cannot, as followers of Jesus, be fooled by any, any his, his deception. This is a, this is this is a time. This is not a time for us to get sucked into the muck. This is actually a time for us to lead. This is a time for us to lead our community out of this darkness. The Bible says we're actually his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In other words, the third thing that we learn is it's our responsibility as Christ's ambassadors to lead the way to reconciliation and unity. I want to tell you what happened to this woman so we can just put a bow on this story. I don't want you to go home and go, what happened to the woman? It says in verse 28, after this encounter with Jesus, she left her jar, her water jar, and she went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I mean, think about this. One day, here's this woman. She wakes up in the the morning. She's not going out where all those other women are by the well. She waits till the last one leaves. She grabs her, her her water jar. She makes her way to the well with her head down. She may have faced ridicule. Who knows what she was facing at that moment. But she's lonely. She's 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 without hope. She's trapped in her sin. And when she gets to the well, she meets a man who tears down racial, gender, religious barriers to, 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 to give her this opportunity to start again. And what does he do? He gives her living water, he gives her salvation. The next thing we see, she's inviting everyone she sees to meet the man who, ever to- who told her all that she ever did. Now think for just a moment about the barriers that she had to go through to do that. She had to get over her fear. She had to get over just the, the, the fear of being ridiculed. The fear of, fear of people, people rejecting her, turning their back against her. But when they saw her, they saw a different woman. She literally became an ambassador of Jesus, leading people to reconciliation and unity with God. And the Bible says that the, as a result of her, many believed in the words of Jesus. Think of how the community was changed in Samaria that day, in this little town of Sychar. Think of how, people were, how, how that impacted how people related to each other. Westridge Church, we have been called to be ambassadors of reconciliation and unity Every single one of us, we have a job to do. Jesus has shown us the way. He calls us to be people of the cross, to be, to be, to be his followers, to follow him. But I want you to know that it starts with every heart. It's an individual calling, not just to our church collectively, but it starts in everyone's heart. It starts in my heart. When I see stuff on TV, when I hear things, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what, here's where I go. What's happening in your heart? There needs to be repentance in our country. There needs to be repentance maybe here this morning over the sin of racism and bigotry and prejudice. So I want to ask all of you this morning, what's in your heart? What's happening in your heart right now? As you see these images, you hear things, you're watching what's going on outside these walls, what's, what's going on in your heart? Once we've done business in there, listen, then we've got to go do some business out there, outside of these walls. And it's a daunting task, isn't it? It's not going to be easy, but we need to be the church in this community that that leads this community towards rec- reconciliation and unity. We, we've got to be that church. A few weeks ago, I was I'd finished a year long Bible study reading plan, and uh, before I jump into another one, I I did a couple quick ones that you find on the Uversion Bible app, and I did this five day plan called "When Faith Catches Fire." It was great. And I want to read to you the devotion from day day four. It says this: "There's a new song arising. Can you hear it? It's deep within and longing to rise from a sacred place of silent hope to be a sound that will pierce the darkness." There's a new song arising. This new song will not be sung exclusively by a black chorus, a white ensemble, a Latino band, or an Asian soloist. No, this is a new song that will be sung by a multi-ethnic, multi-generational kingdom culture choir washed in the blood of the Lamb, a church united. But rest assured, this song rises not out of program promptings or emotional exuberance, but rather out of the depths, out of the leading of God's Spirit at work in the hearts of surrendered men and women. It's not born out of hype, but rather hope. It is a time to sing a new song. The new song reminds us of of our identity. So, who are we? We must respond with clarity, conviction, and courage and affirm the following We are the light of the world, we are a city on a hill. The Bible tells us we are a a people of the word. We are the salt of the earth. We are prophetic and not pathetic. We are disciples, witnesses, and Christ followers. We are children of the cross, fruit of the empty tomb, and products of the upper room. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are forgiven, free, and favored. We are called and chosen. We are warriors and worshipers. We're not first and foremost brown, black, white, or yellow, Hispanic, charismatic, Pentecostal, or Reformed. We are above all the born-again, blood-washed, spirit-empowered children of the living God. That's who we are this morning. (laughs) God's not called me to lead the world, to lead America. He's called me to lead this church, to pastor the people that call Westridge Church their home. And I'm asking you today, as your pastor, to stand with me against so much of the ugliness that we're seeing in our community, in our country today, to truly be the light of the world, to be the city on a hill, to shine our light into this community, to be the ones that tear down the the, the walls of hostility when it comes to race and even gender and religion. And that when people walk into this place, regardless of where they come from, what they're into, what's going on in their life, they feel love. That our kindness leads people to repentance. That, 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 we, that we're grace givers, realizing that we of all people are so undeserving of grace ourselves. I want to just take a moment, if I could, and I want us to pray. I'd like to ask all of you to, to bow your head. Some of you may feel led to come up to these steps and pray if that's where you are. Just come and get on your knees. You may want to get on your knees at, your, at the seat that you're sitting at. I just want to create a prayer movement, prayer moment all over this auditorium. I know some of you are guests here today. Pray with us if you would. We're so glad you're here. I want you to start off in your own heart. I would never ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself how's your heart? As you've watched all of the things that have happened over the the last week on whether it's TV, the internet, or social media, how's your heart been? If you feel yourself just being torn, pulled towards racism or prejudice or, or bigotry or whatever, just confess that to God. Say, Lord, I want you to root this out of me. Even the slightest hint I want to walk after Jesus. I want to have a pure heart because I want to be used by you during this time. During this time in our nation, Lord, I want to be used by you to be an ambassador that brings reconciliation and unity to a lost, broken situation. and I want you to pray for our church. Pray that we'll be bold. Pray that our confidence would come from Christ, his Holy Spirit empowering us, working through us. Pray for our church that we would truly become a reflection of heaven, a place where every person of every tribe, every nation of every language would feel welcomed in here. They would feel the presence of God that they would feel that when when things happen around the nation, that they can go to their church because we have their back. We're pulling for them, regardless of, of where they come from, what they look like. We're a family together because the gospel has made us one family. And let's pray for our country. Regardless of how you may feel about our president, good, bad, or ugly, let's pray for him right now. Give him wisdom, give him discernment. Holy Spirit, lead him. Pray for our, our government leaders. Pray for the voices out there that are talking right now. That God would humble and silent the voices of destruction and disunity and raise up leaders who will speak truth into this, point people to the true light that God would heal our land, heal our nation. Father, we love you today. Thank you for calling us to be people of the way, people of the cross, people who, of Jesus, your true followers. And Lord, if we're going to truly call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we've got to follow what you taught, how you lived, and how you interacted with others, regardless of how we were brought up, regardless of what our background says, regardless of of the community that we currently embrace. Lord, help us to to say, no, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to shine light. Lord, use me to shine light into a dark situation. Use me. Use me because you've called me. Everything that we just said about Being a city on a hill, a people of the word, redeemed, forgiven, use me, Lord, to be an agent, an ambassador of reconciliation and unity, an ambassador of hope. And use this church, use this staff, these elders, this pastor, and may this church shine a light into this community and lead our community towards reconciliation and unity, towards healing. And may it impact the state of Georgia. May it impact our our country and our world. And we'll give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.